I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, our journey in 1 Peter today will bring us to chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. You know, the other day I had a really profound thought, I think. I think it's profound. Uh, it happened when I went to go pick up Willa from daycare. Uh, you sit in your vehicle and you wait for them to bring your child out. Well, it was when I was sitting there and they brought Willa out, something strange happened. A whole gush of affection welled up inside of me. Uh, she wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. She didn't do anything to just make me feel a great love for her. And, and kids, if they have healthy parents, don't have to. Right? Kids don't have to do anything to make their parents love them. They don't have to earn your favor. And, and parents don't have to work to love their kids. It's not a, a chore to try to love your kids. Now, kids are, are work, don't get me wrong, right? But you love them because they're your kids. You get frustrated uh, because you spent all day cleaning uh, the house, and at the end of the day it looks like Toys, Toys R Us barfed all over your living room, right? You get frustrated but there's no like bitterness toward them, like, oh, I wish they would change, you know, or whatever. Or thoughts of leaving them. No one divorces their kids. You just love them, right? You love your kids. Well, it occurred to me that marriage is not that way. The person in the world that you should love the most takes the most work. Lots and lots of work. And I don't mean you work to like earn their love, but it does, it does take work to sustain it. It could be that you pick up your kid from daycare, are filled with affection for them, uh, even though your, your house is filled with toys, but when you see your spouse at home, you're bitter at your spouse because they haven't cleaned up those toys. We don't want to think this way, and it shouldn't be this way, but it's true. Happy, healthy marriages take work to sustain love and affection. It doesn't just happen. It's not as easy coming as just picking up your kid from daycare. We're at a point in 1 Peter where he's been writing about the church as it relates to different institutions. So church and a government, church and slavery, and now we come to church and marriages what it means to be a holy community in marriage. And just like society and just like with slavery, marriages are about foregoing, the, foregoing rights for the sake of another. And while this may not be suffering, like we saw in the slavery chapter, it certainly is self-sacrifice. Carrying a cross, dying to yourself. In other words work not just for the sake of love but for the sake of holiness and it, this work looks different for husbands and wives and we'll explore what that means as we read so i'd like us to look at first peter chapter three together and read these first seven verses likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the, kind, by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. First, a word for wives. Now you can look at this passage and come away feeling very lopsided. Uh, after all, wives, you all get six verses and husbands only get one. Well, it's not because wives need a longer talking to, and I'm sorry, husbands, if that's what you were hoping for today. Uh, uh, but uh, in other places in Scripture, it's actually the opposite. Like in Ephesians, Paul spends what, much more time talking to husbands than he does wives. So why is Peter's emphasis so strongly on the wives? It's because his whole focus for the past few passages, has been on those who hold less power. In the passage right before this, he addressed slaves who hold no power. And now he turns to wives who, especially at this time, also held very little power. That's what Peter means when he says, he says likewise. He's linking the concept of, of submitting to now wives submitting, especially as it relates to being in their weaker position. We'll get to exactly what that means in a little while, so just kind of stay in your seats, hold your breaths until we get there. But it's very important to note something here, that even though Peter says likewise, right? Likewise, wives submit to your husbands, linking that concept of submitting, he does not mean that wives are like slaves, He's simply linking the concept of submitting. Just as the church uh, submits joyfully to government, just as the uh, slaves joyfully submit to suffering, right? so wives are also called to joyfully submit to their husbands. And this also is a very important point. Wives are not called to submit to men. Wives are not called to submit to husbands even. Wives, you are called to submit to your own husband. Not somebody else's husband. Your own husband. We, we, we get this mixed up a lot, right? As if women are called to just submit to men in general, but that's not the case. Women are not called to submit to anybody that a man is also not called to submit to, with the exception of wives and husbands. I mean, think about it, right? Guys are called to submit to their parents, just as girls are. Men are called to submit to governing authorities, just as women are. Men are called to submit to male elders in the church, just like women. The only exception is wives submitting to husbands. And the submitting looks different in each of those realms, right? You don't submit to your parents in the same way you now submit to your husband, just like you don't submit to the government in the same way you submit to your husband. Your parents could order you to clean up your room. Husbands don't have that authority. Tom Schreiner correctly pointed out that husbands 
do not have the responsibility to ensure that wives submit to them. In other words, you don't get to tell your wife, submit to me. He's not your boss, he's your husband. It's a glad, free, voluntary, joyful submission on the part of the wife. And and what is Peter's goal this entire time? What is his goal for wife submission? It's the mission of the church to bring about faith in the gospel. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Why? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter wants people to be won over to Christ. And it is important to note here that yes, Peter is kind of focusing on unbelieving husbands, wives of unbelieving husbands, but that's not all he has in mind. He's not just addressing them. Yes, they're in his focus, but he's addressing all wives. But the emphasis is on winning your husband over to Christ. And if that's true for lost husbands, this is the same for believing husbands too. To always win them over to Christ. And that, especially, how? By behavior. Without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So we know, obviously, and I'm glad to see, I don't think anybody does, has braided hair today, because if they do, you're obviously in sin. Or if you have Kate Spade purse. Thankfully, that's not what Peter means. What Peter has in mind is an overly flashy, exorbitant external, external appearance. Right? It's one that overtly calls attention to itself by uh, extravagance. That's the kind of uh, external appearance he has in mind. Rather, he says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, like your inner being, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, earlier, right, Peter said to win your husbands over without a word. This doesn't mean that you don't speak or that you can't use words to talk about Jesus. There's a popular saying that's, first of all, um, it's attributed to uh, some old theologian guy who's dead now. I, don't, I forgot who it was. But, uh, but it's not, he didn't even say it. But it, it goes something like, um, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's not good phrase, not good theology, and the guy that we say who said it didn't even say it, okay? So this doesn't mean that you can't use words and that you can't talk. It means that you can't badger your husband into belief. Mallory likes to say say she's sanctifying me when she tries to correct my behavior. And the jury is still out on whether that works. Uh, No, the emphasis is on winsome behavior. The gospel on display. And and that phrase, gentle and quiet, doesn't mean you have to be a pipsqueak. Kay Clark might be 4'11 and 3 quarters, but she's not anyone to take any nonsense. Okay? No, this behavior is is a meek and a humble behavior. 
It doesn't retaliate or, or berate. And in many ways, this behavior is required of all believers, right? But I believe wives especially are called upon to model this behavior. And actually, this is a good, uh, a good application to our culture as well because, right, for the past 200 or so years, our nation had shared agreement on what was good and what was right, right? Yeah, our culture agreed that maybe like the, the Ten Commandments were good. But now our, our culture doesn't have that shared agreement, right? You can't go up to someone and say, that's sin, because they're like, I don't care about sin. I don't even know what sin is. And so even though the culture may not agree with what is sin, you can certainly show them if something is beautiful. And the gospel is beautiful, especially as it is displayed through the lives of believers. And so this is the kind of life that Peter calls wives to, a life of patient display of the beauty of Jesus. Peter says this, end of verse 4, This in God's sight is very precious, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Then you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Doing this kind of submitting, submitting this way, might make you out of step with culture, but it keeps you in step with women of great faith. You might be bypassed for fame or for even making your name in history, but you will be honored eternally. It's the kind of unnoticed behavior that glorifies God the most. A couple of things before we move on to husbands. First, Sarah's example of calling Abraham Lord does not mean you call your husband Lord as much as he might want it. I I don't know. You can decide if you want to do that. It would just be weird. Um, But, I mean, you know, you just decide what you want to do with that. But the example comes from her life that that just to show that in the day-to-day when she could have disrespected Abraham, right, 99-year-old geezer, right, she still showed him honor. And I just disrespected Abraham, and I'm I'm sorry about that. But I'm not his wife. Anyway, so yes, so so you don't have to call him Lord. Her example is to show her day-to-day submission, honoring, and respect of Abraham. Second... And this is important. Submitting to your own husband does not mean submitting to sin. This is an important place where we can talk about being nice because being nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. Being nice means you never disagree or you're afraid to speak your mind or, or you're afraid to speak up. That's, that's being nice. You are not called to be nice and submit to whatever your husband says or wants, especially if it is sin. That's the idea that Peter has in mind when he says, do not fear anything that is frightening because your primary fear should be God. It's the same concept as submitting to the government, right? You You submit to the government, but your primary fear is God. And when the government orders you to sin, you don't sin. Same with your husbands. So don't submit to sin. And here's another important point. Don't enable overt sin. Like abuse or violent behavior. 
Calling the police on a violent man doesn't mean you're not submitting. It means you're trying to keep your husband from further sin. So fear God. Submit to your own husbands. Win them over to Christ. Finally, a word for husbands. This is a fun verse that is not at all controversial today. Uh, if you go to Disney World, this is the verse that's displayed on the entrance as you walk in. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Culture's favorite verse right here. Love First Peter. He's just, he's um, very says a lot of things that we would not like to talk about today. But, but Peter's injunction is for husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way. I used to be a proud dude. This is so dumb. When I was a teenager, I used to be so proud about how much I knew about girls. Like, I thought I was the man, and like I knew girls, and like how they worked, and thought and all that stuff. Uh, I think I don't. I don't think that way anymore. I, I just I don't understand girls. So the command to live with your wives in an understanding way assumes that we don't know all that there is to know, and that it takes conscious effort on our part to understand how they think and how they feel. Example of this is is how Mallory spent sees spending time together. Uh, and this really came out early on in our marriage because we spent every night together and we would sit down and watch our favorite TV shows. I mean, every night. And so when she would come up to me and says, I just don't feel like we spent any time together. Well, what have we been doing like every night? Like, what are we, what are we doing? I was confused, but, but now I know what she means. It means being with each other and connecting with each other. Not just being on the same couch watching TV, which I'm... I'm totally fine with. But it's an example, right? An example of, of, of this kind of trying to understand your wife. And notice, husbands are not called to submit to their wives. This is why we hold to complementarianism. It's a big word for the, for the day. Uh, and basically what that means is that while equal in dignity, humanity, and worth, Husbands and wives have different roles. Equal in dignity, humanity, and worth, but different in their roles as husbands and wives. The husband is the head and the wife submits. This doesn't mean the wife has to be the one who cooks or grocery shops or does the dishes. It does mean that the primary function is that the husband gently leads and the wife humbly submits. Peter says something interesting. Husbands are to live their, with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. There's a reason that the culprits of Me Too were men. There's a reason shelters for domestic abuse are not filled with men. It's because, generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women and have far, far too often used that strength to dominate rather than to serve. 
Husbands, by sheer physical might and force of will, assert their dominance rather than live with their wives in an understanding way. And when Paul says women are the weaker vessel, he doesn't mean women can't be strong. I don't want to be married to Ronda Rousey. You know who, who that is? You Google her and be ashamed at how weak you are compared to this woman. She's, I mean, muscles just coming out of her neck and stuff. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we'd be compatible or not. I don't know. I've never taken a test whether I'm compatible with Ronda Rousey, but I'd be afraid, right? Constantly. Women can be very strong, but men have been created with a generally stronger stature and physique. And, and, and still, I want to emphasize this, women are not weaker morally or spiritually. More often than not, women can be stronger morally than men. It's one reason why it's, it's one reason why we have women do childcare. Not just us, but churches everywhere. Further, furthermore, in the New Testament's view, the weaker actually have a salvific advantage. Paul wrote, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The gospel is not a gospel for the strong. The gospel is not a gospel for the people who have it together. It's a gospel for the weak and the lowly. And in this sense, in Peter's language, women are at a salvific advantage. All of what I've been saying is exactly what Peter means in this next phrase. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. All in one passage, just a great summary view of marriage. Husbands and wives have different temporal roles, but an eternally equal dignity. And in being called like this weaker vessel, but as also an heir to the grace of life, also conveys an idea of great value and worth, doesn't it? You don't bring your china to the community picnic and let uh, clay drink out of it. Right? You, you treat it with a special dignity. You're, you don't treat your wedding ring like you got it from the little machine at Pizza Hut. You treat those things with a special dignity and care because they are both vulnerable and valuable. Husbands are called to treat their wives with enormous dignity and worth. And there's an element of fear in, in both their roles too. Right? At the end of the passage with the wives, do not fear anything that is frightening. Right? Wives are called to fear God for the sake of their husband's faith. But husbands are called to fear something else. Fear for the sake of their prayers. Live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, you can't live how you want and expect God to do what you want. Husbands can't expect to use their position however they want and expect God to bless them. 
God especially hates those who are in positions of power, but who use that power to enhance themselves and take advantage of those who are weaker. An example of this is Isaiah chapter 10. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Husbands, if you're a husband, use your power, your position, to honor your wives so that your prayers may not go unhindered. Fear God, honor your wives, live gently with them. Marriage takes work. Maintaining affection takes work, and maintaining holiness takes work. It takes work, but it also takes grace. It takes the grace of Christ that has been shown to you. To be forgiven of your sin, past, present, and future. To have a faithful husband, even though you are unfaithful to him a thousand times a day. It takes drinking deeply of this grace on a consistent daily basis. Meditating on the gospel. Reading scripture. Prayer. Fellowship with other believers. And it takes this grace to empower this kind of obedience. Submitting doesn't make sense until you see it as the church submitting to Christ. And honoring the weaker vessel won't happen until you see how Christ gave Himself for you, weakened by sin. This is an invitation for all of us to come to Christ. It's an invitation for believers to be refreshed in His grace. To be refreshed for all the times, even today, that you have fallen short as a husband or as you've fallen short as a wife. It's an invitation to be refreshed by the greatest husband. It's an invitation for unbelievers to stop resisting and to receive His grace. A grace that He freely offers you today if you will just repent and put your trust in Him. Let's respond to His grace today. Lord Jesus, You have created Your people to display the beauty of Your Gospel. Display the beauty of You, the Son of God, living and dying on a cross for sinners. You have called us to display that in society and under governments. You have called us to display that in suffering. And You have called us to display that in our marriages. Father, for wives in this room, I pray for your blessings of grace on them to follow your will and your word to hard places. Some who may have unbelieving husbands. Lord, that you would give them the grace to live a beautiful, pure, meek and humble life that their husbands will be won over. 
I pray that you would give wives wisdom to navigate difficult marriages. I pray for our husbands. I pray, Lord, that you would give husbands a great view of your grace shown us. That we would honor the wives that you have given us. Lord, may in all of this, may we drink deeply of your grace so that we would sing mightily of your grace. We ask these things, we pray these things in response to your word. Amen. Let's all